I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. (laughs) You can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's the Important Nonsense Podcast. I am your host, Steve Bonham. You can find me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. I remembered my own handle this week, progress. Hashtag progress. Hashtag improving. Uh, joined, as always, by Mr. Neil Smith. Neil, how you doing this evening? Hashtag progress. Hashtag improving. Only looking up for week seven here, folks. Unfortunately, the NFL did not heed our advice, and there will be a Thursday night game this week. I know. That is sad. I know, and especially when you factor in what game they're actually going to trot out for this pageantry of a Week 7 Thursday night game. Eagles, Giants, catch the fever. (laughs) But you know what? While the NFL hasn't heeded our advice, clearly the Bengals have because it seems like they're moving on from John Ross. Hashtag progress. Hashtag progress. Two years. Oh, remember when that was a thing? Remember when that guy gave me a second round pick in the dynasty league for John Ross? Good. I do remember that. I do remember that. Remember when that guy traded Russell Gage and Auden Tate to me for a second round pick and looked like a terrible decision through two weeks. And now who's laughing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who's laughing now? Other way around. You traded them away for a second round pick. Yeah. I probably explained that poorly, but yes, that, that is, that is, uh, that is, that is deeply funny. But yeah, the, this whole situation with the Thursday night game, Steve, pour one out. We're back yeah. on it, folks. Normal service is resumed. On your Again, just continue. The, the doubleheader on Mondays, fantastic. And as we talked about before, the Tuesday night football, even fantastic. Because when you think about it, that just extends the week a little bit. But it's like Monday. You're giving teams more time to prepare. It's not a short, like you, they have a short week going Tuesday to Sunday, but it's not nearly as short as when you're going Sunday to Thursday. So you're actually still giving teams more time to prepare for the following week. It's, it's basically like having a, another buy added to the schedule. Ugh, it's Tuesday night football or double the Mondays. Get rid of Thursdays. That's all we're I understand, saying. by the way, it's all the West Coasters that I've talked to about this that are saying, I don't want my football game to start at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I live in here in Mountain Time where it starts at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And here's what I'm going to say in response to that. Too bad. Well, no, what I would say to that is you do what ESPN does with basketball or when they have baseball and they're doing the doubleheaders. You put two East Coast teams in the early slot and you put two West Coast teams in the late slot. You do exactly what they do in week one, (laughs) but you just do it the entire season. It's that simple. Ugh. It's not like this is difficult to figure out, people. We can figure well, it, it out. It, it shouldn't be, but it's apparently impossible to figure Obviously. out for the league. Which is, but which is- what we're going to talk about today, Neil, the theme of today is, well, more or less, are they dead? I mean, that's that's pretty much the way that, that this is has worked out on our end, is are that they is, dead or not? That is the synopsis of the show, folks. And there has been one key player who has been basically the focus of the entire attention from the entire industry and to this point this player this wide receiver all right 
his best season, game of the season, season highs, eight targets in a single game, seven receptions in a single game, 69 yards. Again, this is not one game. This is his best performance in all games. So 69 yards, again, nice, seven receptions, eight targets. So 13.9 fantasy points is his peak performance if you took his best from each category across the entire year, which would be wide receiver 31. He has finished wide receiver one as a wide receiver one the first week of the year. Since then, no wide receiver twos, once in flex, and three times outside of the top 40. Now, I'm going to give you three different players here, Neil. Player A, player B, and player C. And you try to determine which player it is we're talking about, all right? Just see if you can distinguish which one of these is the more popular player. All right, hit me with it. So player A has 20 receptions on 29 targets. Player B has 23 on 28. And player C has 21 on 26. It's all basically the same, right? Yeah, it's all right in the same neighborhood here. Okay, so so player A has 310 yards with two touchdowns. Player B has 194 yards and three touchdowns. And player C has 200 yards and two touchdowns. Well, it should probably be player B because it's slightly less yards, but you've got that third touchdown in there. The three touchdowns? All right. Yeah, the three On a points-per-game basis, player A has 12.6, player B has 12.5, and player C has 13.3. Okay. Well, then, you know, layering on points per game, it would uh-huh. pivot to player C. Player C, okay. even with the less touchdowns, would, on aggregate, should be, in a, in a vacuum, the most popular. All right, so in terms of market share, so target share on their respective teams, player A has 18% of the market share, player B has 17%, and player C has 19%. So you stay with C, because not only is it the highest points per game, but it's also the highest target share. Okay, so player A is 27.3% owned, player B is 99.2% owned, and player C is 6.5% owned. <laughs> yeah. So now you know exactly who we're talking about. Yeah. Player A is Tim Patrick. Player C, the one with the better stats across the board, is Adam Humphreys of the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> and player B is Juju Smith-Schuster. Is he dead has been the question that many people across the industry have talked about and discussed Look, you and I were talking about the fact that Deontay Johnson got hurt in game three. They had the abrupt uh, bye week out of nowhere in week four, and then he missed week five, didn't play at all. So, or he left early in week five, didn't play at all in week six. So he's only really played the two games, and yet he only has two less targets on the year than Juju. He dominated the targets when he's been in the games, and even though he's not getting the targets, Chase Claypool has been a far more productive wide receiver than anyone else 
on that offense with the opportunities that he's given. So is the 24-year-old wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster, completely dead from a fantasy perspective this season? Oh, this is such a vexing question because it's for anyone who invested in it, you actually had to put in some real capital. I mean, he was drafted to be a wide receiver two on your team. So you're talking about a, you're talking about a situation where it's 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 tough to want to tell people to just flatly cut bait on that. Yeah. But we haven't even really gotten into the idea properly of 4.7 air yards per target. And that may sound like a nebulous kind of, you know, next level kind of stat. You know what I mean? Like who who really cares, right? It's just targets. Targets are targets. We just want to see targets and target share. Well, the problem with 4.7 air yards per target, that's a running back target. And it's not even right. like a good running back depth of target stat. That's bottom of the page running back. That's David Johnson. That's that who that's a whole other conversation. That, that that is that is pathetic for any wide receiver. He is he's the bottom of the page as far as that particular stat goes. He's something like wide receiver 80. Yeah, we you know, lay, we talked about it yesterday. The exact stat is in terms of air yards per target with a minimum of 20 targets. There are 81 qualifying wide receivers and Juju Smith-Schuster is 81st out of 81. He is dead last. He is almost a full yard, a full air yard behind Greg Ward, who is the next lowest on that Wolf. list. Larry Fitzgerald is also in that same list. The, the but, zombie of Larry Fitzgerald. And that, and that really speaks to the scale of the problem because Greg Ward was not a drafted player and was a waiver wire kind of, oh, by the way, he's getting some, some run with all the injuries. And Larry Fitz was a back end of your draft if he was even drafted. And you kind of know what you're getting into with that. So the, the fall that Juju has taken, not just from, you know, the start of the season to now, but from last year where he was drafted and from the last good year that he had two years ago, I mean, he comes in with high expectations. Like I said at the start of this, he's a wide receiver too as far as what your capital investment was to actually roster him going into this season. And so is he dead? It's kind of hard to, 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 to package that in a simple answer for everyone's team. You know what I mean? For every team that you may have. The, the, but the short answer is yes, because Deontay Johnson is coming back. And we can run through the Deontay Johnson stat line, and I'm sure we will here in a moment. But Deontay Johnson, before he was injured, was commanding a higher percentage of targets than Juju was anyway. And he doesn't have a 4.7 yard air yard depth of target issue handcuffing him. And you've also got the other issue, the emergence of Chase Claypool, who has just taken off like a rocket since he started getting fully integrated into the offense for the last two weeks. And I know it's small sample, but I don't see that slowing down. That's not, that's not typically how that goes with the Steelers and with Ben at the helm. If he starts to trust you, he tends to find a way to get you the ball, and he is the one who is achieving the, the real down-the-field targets that you want when he's out there. Now, we'll see how that shifts with Deontay Johnson back out there because he also, you know, has got that field-stretching capability. But the issue is, is that, I mean, we didn't even talk about it, but Eric Ebron is still there. And even though we, neither you or I are interested in Eric Ebron, and, and you shouldn't be either if you're listening to this in a real way, the, the issue is, is he still gets – a piece of the pie. He's still there. 
So what are your options with Juju at this point? Because you can't keep playing him. The only way that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna make any hay if you continue to play Juju is if he breaks several tackles and is able to kind of bust one for a touchdown, which can happen. I'm not going to tell you it can't happen. It can't happen. But what are the odds on that any given week that he's going to, that he's going to actually be able to break enough tackles for you to get yards after the catch to turn that into touchdowns? And, and what are also – as we went through, his targets are dropping every week. So every you brought week. up a couple of good points. So first of all, in terms of just the offense as a whole, right? So Roethlisberger is middle of the pack in terms of attempts and yardage. Um, so it's not a great passing offense, but it's not a terrible passing offense either. Deontay Johnson, despite the time missed, still leads the team with 18% of the target share. And again, that's amazing because he played, what, one quarter of game three and one quarter of game five, and then not at all in game six. So the fact that he still owns 18% of the target share just shows you how involved he is for that team. Juju with 17%, then James Washington has 16%, and I think that's just more a factor of he's been in every single game compared to everybody else. And Chase Claypool and Eric Ebron, both with 15%, James Conner with nine, the other running backs around three and two. But the air yards per target, Deontay Johnson at 8.2, James Washington at 9.1, Eric Ebron at nine, Chase Claypool at 13.6 air yards per target. He is their deep threat, their home run guy. And Juju, 4.7. So that's what's even amazing about this as well is the fact that Chase Claypool – 13.6 air yards per target. Juju at 4.7. Juju has 124 yards after the catch, which you would think, okay, yeah, that's common sense, right? Chase Claypool, 144. Like he's getting almost 10 more air yards and he still has more yards after the catch. Like he has been so significantly better than anything Juju has done. Deontay Johnson is getting double the air yards per target, but he has 73 yards after the catch, which is almost half of what Juju has done. So on like comparing apples to apples there, they're, ba- they're putting up basically the same numbers. Looking at this whole offense, Chase Claypool is the one that I want to own rest of season. Chase Claypool is the one I have borderline top 20, if not in the top 20, if we're doing rest of season wide receiver ranks. And I think Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster, even though Deontay is going to get a ton of value and he's going to get targets in PPR, he'll be higher ranked, but I still think he's going to be like what mid twenties. He's not going to have the touchdowns and yardage that he's going to need. It's just, he's going to be pecking away at you basically with all the receptions. He'll be one of those with the, oh, he got eight receptions for 42 yards today, so I got a 12 out of it in PPR. Yeah. That'll be Deontay Johnson. Yeah, 100%. That sounds But the other thing that you were talking about, too, was like investment. At this point in the season, we're basically – this is the halfway point of the fantasy football season because the regular season is 13 weeks in most formats. So this is week seven. We're at the the halfway point. At this point – When you're talking about trades with people, when you're talking about waiver wire and making moves, draft capital means nothing. Draft capital is dead 
It doesn't matter what you invested initially. It doesn't matter how invested someone else did. <laughs> if, if somebody comes to you and says, I can't do that. He was my first round pick. What has he done over the last seven weeks? What has he done for the first half of this season that is telling you that this is what this player is worth? Right. Because if you invested a first round pick in say, uh, I don't know, Nick Chubb, who's hurt right now, then you can't say, okay, well, I want first round top end draft capital for Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's not going to be playing still for another three or four weeks. You can't possibly be asking for, and even when he was playing, he was a mid RB two. Like you can't be asking for top end first round pick return on a player that hasn't produced it. Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders is going to miss the next two weeks, including the garbage fire that'll be that game tomorrow. So we're not going to see Miles Sanders for two weeks. And he hasn't been good when he has been playing. He's been bailed out two weeks in a row by 70-plus yard runs, which is ridiculous. There's no way that sustains. I would be saying that Miles Sanders is a sell high right now, but he's hurt. You can't even sell him high. It's, it's unbelievable. So that's you a can't whole go, other, it's a that's whole, a whole other, other thing. So you thing. can't yep. go into these trade discussions thinking, okay, this is what I invested, or this is what this person invested. So this is what I have to well, give them in return. And this, this situation, by the way, has a name. There's actually a name for this in a business circles. It's called sunk cost because it's too late to do anything about it. The investment is made. It is done. There is no, there, you, can't, you, you can't undo it. So the money is already invested. There's no undo button on this, like you, like you would like to believe that there is. You can't go back in time and not make a bad investment. So you've spent the money. And whether you, and you, so you can't really, you know, just come back and claim like, well, this is what we have invested. So this is what I need to get back out of it. You can try and make that argument if you like, to your point. But whether or not anybody's going to listen to you is a whole different matter. And they likely won't because they don't care what you invested in it. That is what we like to call in business circle, Steve, not my problem. That yeah. is the technical term for that. For that. So no, like, like you said, like at this point in the season, Juju Smith-Schuster outside of that one week one where he had multiple touchdowns, right? He needed a touchdown to be a flex in week three, I believe it was. Otherwise, in every other week, he's had the bye week and played four games. He had that flex week because of the touchdown, but every other week he has finished outside of the top 40. He is a touchdown dependent flex at this point just because of his talent and the ability he has to possibly go off at some point. Rest of season, I'm going to have him ranked around 34 to 38 on a weekly basis as a back-end flex-wide receiver. Behind Deontay Johnson and yes. behind Chase Claypool for yes. myself as well, uh, which is shocking. But it just well, is what it is. And at this well, point, to, it's not shocking say... to, to Aiden Ware, who has never <laughs> been more right about anything in his life than this particular situation. So shout out well, to... Aiden Ware on that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know about that. No, Aiden's argument is that Juju is bad at football. Yes, that is that is the, the synopsis. So Juju's argue, or his argument is Juju can't play at all, which I don't think is right. I when you actually dive into the numbers and analysis of it, he's actually extremely efficient with the targets he gets. The problem well, is the targets and, he's getting 
are low range and he's yeah. barely getting them. They're four point seven the yards. And here's and here's just to just to illustrate this for people. Pittsburgh has attempted ninety three passes with Deontay Johnson in and out of the lineup over the last three games. Juju Smith Schuster, last three games. Fourteen targets, ten catches. 77 yards and a touchdown folks that was supposed to be the per game averages not three game averages also what is even more illustrative of this juju has one game over 84 yards since antonio brown left pittsburgh that was two years ago two that is shocking and it is also hugely accurate so that is that is the uh, that is why I think Aiden would would take his victory lap and be like, see, he's not good. Hasn't gotten over eighty four yards since Antonio Brown left. Yeah, I mean, that, well, last year Ben didn't play no basically the yeah. whole season. Yeah. <laughs> it ignores that part of it. Yes, it again, does. but but look, he's back this year. They have said all along they don't want to pay him. They don't want to make him an alpha receiver. They don't believe he is, and they're willing to let him walk. He's clearly going to walk at the end of this because they're not even utilizing him right now. And they're using him as a possession receiver out of the slot. They're not even letting him move around the field. They're using guys like James Washington on more snaps than they are Juju. It's hard to rank. But back to our original point, which was, is he dead or not, right? You, you, can't, you can't cut him because he's in the range of back-end flex. And now we're going into the, the bye weeks, and with all the injuries, like at some point, you're probably going to have to play him. And if you put him out there, he's the best receiver available. But on a weekly basis, am I saying you have to start Juju? No, I'm saying he's probably the fourth or fifth best wide receiver you may have on your team right now, depending on what's available on waivers too. Like if you're in a 10-team league and you need the roster space, you can absolutely cut Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, that that's I don't think that's a debate or a discussion. I think that's just a fact of life at this point. But if you're in a 12 team league, like we, we point to all the time, then you don't really have a choice. You're kind of stuck with it, riding out the storm, hoping he can kind of rekindle a fire here. Which is unfortunate. And so what I would say is, and I wrote this up for the trade column. If it's me, what you have to try and it's not pretty, but you have to see, what you can get on the open market. And what that is going to entail is you're going to have to almost go team by team and see what you can kind of ferret around for on the open market. And yeah, you're probably going to end up having to take less than what you paid. Now there is some limits to that because I'm absolutely not taking less than like wide receiver 35 value. Cause don't be dumb. Don't just throw things away for no reason. Cause it's frustrating. I'd rather have him on the back end of my team to your point if I can't get anything better than that. And maybe, just maybe, you play in a league with people who, you know, know the name and remember him from a couple of years ago and they're willing to take a shot because they might have a deep team and they can they can invest in it at that point. You know what I mean? Because to them, it's not a weekly starter conversation. They don't yeah. need him. And, and you can maybe... deal. If you're somebody who has a four and two, five and one record that needs wide receiver help and has depth at running back, tight end, quarterback, whatever, and you want to make a low ball offer for Juju as a back-end player for you, for the upside of it, because you're going to win whether you have him or not, then yeah, I would take a shot on Juju. Why not? Why not have the upside of somebody that could, if he gets right and catches Ben's eye and he goes hot hand, it could be a top 15 player again at some point. 
But do do I think that's going to happen? No. No, no, and neither one of us do. I'm not so banking on that. Yeah. That's why I'm saying if I've been rostering Juju to this point, I'm going to go run around and see what I can carve out for myself. And you got to try, but you, I would also be mentally preparing for the idea that you're going to need to go check the waiver wire and figure out if there's something a little more dependable for yourself that you can, that you can try and pick up and play. And we've got, we've got some options. Tim Patrick that we already discussed briefly at the start of this springs to mind because I'd feel better about that at this point. And that really should be illustrative to folks of kind of how far, you know, down the line he's gone. Yeah, it's, Keelan it, Cole is another one widely available. Yep. Should definitely be. If I needed a floor, Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley's Cole yet Beasley. to have under double digits in PPR any week. Yeah, he, he hasn't he, had in sexy, six games, or what is it? Yeah, six games. He hasn't had more than a 15, but he hasn't had less than a 10. Like, yep. he's it's, very consistent. It's and great. And if, that's all you, if that's all you need, you know what I mean? Because your team is good in other places, then I'd rather that than trying to guess on whether or not Juju is going to break a bunch of tackles in any given week. Cause that's impossible to predict really. Like it's really hard to predict how many broken tackles someone's going to have in any given game, no matter who they are. So no, he's, he is more or less, he is more or less dead. Uh, and so it's, it's one of those situations where you got to see what you can recoup. And if you can't recoup anything, then I think it's time to just bury him on the back end of your depth chart. And to your point, what's really frustrating is you can't cut him. Not yet. When we get a few, if this continues and we get towards the playoffs, though, by the way, and you've got your full team back from the buys, yeah, yeah, you can cut him when we get to that point. A few more weeks at that point, that would be totally legitimate in a 12 teamer. All right, well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll play a game and try to uh, evaluate some more of these similar type cases. All right, Neil, we're back. We're playing a game. This week, the game is called Corpse or Coma. So obviously, if they're a corpse, they're dead to you. They're cuttable. They, they, you don't need them. You can drop those guys. They're not unguardable. Don't want to confuse the two. They're cuttable. <laughs> Hashtag unguardable. Hashtag unguardable. Or are they just in a coma? Are they a deep sleeper that, that you're just waiting to wake up because they're going to help your roster at some point? So let's start with running back. First and foremost, the hot topic from last week, Le'Veon Bell, who we discussed being cut on last week's show, we mentioned there were multiple places he could go, and the most hilarious would be Kansas City. So he signed with Kansas City. That's hilarious. Right. We yeah, loved, that's right. loved it. So CEH goes off the farewell tour on Monday, has a huge game. Now Le'Veon Bell can join the team this week and has. So he will join the roster. He should be active this week, but it's possible he sits out. I would give it at least maybe a week for him to fit in. But in two weeks for sure, Le'Veon Bell definitely will be integrated in this offense. So is he just the handcuff there, or does he have actual value, corpse or coma? Oh, for me, you know I, you know that I'm not a Le'Veon Bell guy. So for me, this is starting to feel pretty corpsey. Starting to feel pretty corpsey. You, you, all I think it does is it really just kills Daryl Williams. Like sure. that, whatever, whatever you had left, and there, there wasn't much on that to begin with. And will it cap CEH to a certain extent? Yes, I believe that will be the case. I don't think you can count on CEH to return. Well, we've been saying this for weeks and weeks and weeks. He was never going to hit those numbers that people had for him to try right. and justify him as the RB5. That's insanity. The fifth pick overall. That's never going to happen. And I hope you've made your peace with that. Because even with that good game last week, he's still not, not on pace to do it. And now we add Le'Veon Bell to the mix. I think all this does is it makes Daryl Williams completely droppable. 
and he basically becomes the new Daryl Williams. He's a better pass catcher than Daryl Williams. He's going to see some of that third down work. I think they're going to give him a shot to do some of this red zone work they've been letting Daryl Williams do. Whether or not that's going to pan out, no one knows, frankly, maybe. But they're not going to play the Buffalo super shoddy run defense every week either. And they're also not going to have huge rushing outputs where they play in the rain every week either because it's the Chiefs. And we know that some of these games are going to turn into shootouts where Patrick Mahomes throws it 40 times. And those are the games that Tyree Kill is likely to go off in. And Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey. It's the one thing that seems to be not dependent on game script. He's going to get what he gets no matter what. Just a question of whether or not he catches a touchdown for you. It's about the same. And it's just whether or not you get a TD or more from him. So for me, Le'Veon Bell, I think basically just becomes the new Daryl Williams. And Daryl Williams wasn't really rosterable except in the deepest of leagues. So for me, corpse. And also, I would try and trade it immediately to one of these people that is like way into Le'Veon Bell and way into the Chiefs that overvalues all that. Immediately trying to trade it. The second I can get a reasonable trade offer for Le'Veon Bell, I want out of the Le'Veon Bell business. I mean, if you can get a good deal for it, sure. But I think this is coma. I I 100% believe this is a coma situation. Le'Veon Bell said specifically that he wanted to go somewhere that would not only give him the best chance to win, but would also give him the most playing time. And by no means do I believe that he just becomes the the bell cow and is instantly their workhorse back, but they're going to work him onto the field. And to your point, the snap count was basically 60-40 between CEH and Daryl Williams. I think it could get closer to 50-50 with Le'Veon Bell, but even with 60-40, Le'Veon Bell is going to be utilized way more on third downs and as a wide receiver spread out wide than they ever used for Daryl Williams. I think he has a lot of PPR value specifically. Rest of season, I've got CEH at 23 and Le'Veon Bell at 32. Okay. I, so I, I think that okay. he has flex value on a weekly basis. So once you're he gets saying he's still here. a flex. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's as, that's as close to it as I'd be willing to go. So I, I, I could see your scenario panning out where he's a flex. But what I'm here to tell you is that is in no way guaranteed. Just because they tell him he's going to get playing time does not automatically equate to that actually translating to him getting real playing time. I'm saying if he has the same playing time that Daryl Williams had, he'll do more than Daryl Williams What did. I'm saying is I don't know that he's even guaranteed that. It's, that's dependent on his performance yes. and – and, and maybe he can, he can achieve it, and maybe he can. There's still enough smoke for me to just be want – I want to be done with this. And if I'm wrong and he's still a flex, okay, fine. But given what <laughs> – I know it's I guess it depends if he was your – well, I don't know. If he was your RB2 at the beginning of the season, you had to adjust anyway because he was hurt for three weeks. Right. So I feel like you already had a backup option. But if for whatever reason Le'Veon Bell was your only RB2, I think you're in trouble. Because he's certainly yeah, not going to be a, yeah. an RB2 the rest of the year. He wasn't going to be anyway, but he, you're, right. you're certainly well, that's, not And that's what people don't want to say because of the change of scenery where it's like, yeah. oh, well, he's going to be at like RB2 level. And I'm here to tell you, no, I don't even know that he could be a regular right. flex for you because what if he can't complete – what if I'm wrong and he can't completely kill Daryl Williams? And it becomes right, let's move on. This is 60, 20, long. 20. You know what I mean? It's too that's, much Le'Veon Bell talk. I can't handle right. it. All right, Mark Ingram, currently 82.7% owned, drafted widely as people's RB2. He is currently RB42. He only has two games all year, over six PPR points. 
Mark Ingram, corpse or coma? Corpse. And in fact, I'm willing to pretty much go there with like the entire Baltimore running back room. I know you feel a little bit differently about that to a certain extent, but I'm here to tell you for me, particularly in a 10 team league, but in a 12 team league, even the, uh, the Ravens running backs, you can't feel good about any of them as anything more than a, than a flex periodically. And because there's three of them, I don't know how you could trust any of it. And at this point, the only games Mark Ingram, by the way, are where he's gotten over those sixes are the games in which he scored a touchdown. And one of those two games, he ran in like a 40-yard touchdown on a broken play. He's yet to do that again. He's not getting the volume that he's enjoyed last season and also just previously stops in his career. And I think the Ravens are just kind of done with it. I think they're ready to just roll it through with a three-headed monster for the rest of the season with Gus Edwards spelling Mark Ingram. But in reality, it's like they're sharing – 60-40 of the actual like running back touches, and J.K. Dobbins is their third down guy. And I see no reason for that to change throughout the rest of the season. Mark yeah, Ingram at RB42. Mark Ingram at RB42 is probably what you can expect for the rest of the year. And because of that, that even a 12-team league is corpse level. It's barely registering as a flex. It's, it's barely rosterable. And because running back is so thin, maybe you don't have to, you don't have the luxury of cutting him. But it's so bad at this point, I don't know what you're going to even be able to get in trade. Who's going to acquire Mark Ingram from you? Like, realistically, no one. So it feels like you're just stuck with this corpse on your roster. And frankly, I'm at the point where if you actually were able to get a better option off the waiver wire because somebody made a mistake or made an uh-oh, and you can find something that's got more realistic playing time, I'm, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to pull the to cough and carry me, Mark Ingram. To this well. point you've got Mark Ingram, 50 rush attempts, which is 28% of the Ravens' rush attempts. Gus Edwards, 27%. 48 attempts for 218. Mark Ingram, 50 for 225. They are literally splitting the between the tackles work. J.K. Dobbins has been getting the third down snaps. He has 14% of the team's rushing attempts. How about this? So yards per carry is, again, roughly 4.5 for both Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. J.K. Dobbins, 6.2, because he's running out of the slot and on obvious passing situations. Two touchdowns for Dobbins, two for Ingram, one for Edwards. They have taken this whole job and split it three ways pretty evenly. This is very reminiscent of the job last year with San Francisco, how they passed it between everybody. And by the end of the year, Mostert, who was the primary pass catching back established himself as the guy. And with everybody else getting hurt, they just rode him through the playoffs. This feels like back end of the season, JK Dobbins is going to be the guy that they end up riding through the end of the year and through the postseason. I could be wrong on that, but I feel like that's the way they're leaning. And JK Dobbins is pretty widely available and you can have him for pretty much nothing at this point. So, yes, if I've got Mark Ingram, I'm at the point where I'm ready to cut it. This is corpse to me. He's done nothing, and I see no reason for that to change at any point in time. I mean, hell, Gus Edwards is getting just as much, if not more, of the red zone work Mm -hmm. than Mark Ingram is. He doesn't even have a specific role I can count on. Well, and then bonus, now Mark Ingram's injured. And they say it's not serious and he's going to be back in week eight. But to do what? Like it's it, it, good for the Ravens that they'll have Mark Ingram back in week eight, but how does that help fantasy players? It doesn't. So it's, I think it's just the ship has sailed. It's yep. over. And I think we can move on. 
Yeah, 82% own Mark Ingram still. That number is way too high. Needs to come down. Cam Ackers, Los Angeles Rams. Remember in the preseason when the fantasy industry kept trying to force feed us Cam Ackers that he was just going to beat out Daryl Henderson unquestioned and be the number one running back in L.A.? Well, he's 59.9% owned because he is RB89 to this point, and Daryl Henderson has significantly outplayed him to the point that last week he had one snap registered in the entire game and didn't even get a carry. He was just out there for one play while Daryl Henderson, you know, grabbed some water. He's got some Gatorade on the sideline, maybe tied up his shoe, and then went back on the field. That was it. That is his role on the team right now. So Cam Akers, corpse or coma, and I think this one's pretty clear. This one is easy. It's corpse, and it's it's a it's a particularly unpleasant corpse too. It's like it's like they throw it in the river. It's it's a corpse bloated. with no hope. This this is this is not. You're looking for dental records on this. It's so far away from fantasy relevance that it is to the point that it is basically like I could make the argument in leagues that Le'Veon Bell is rosterable because there's a chance yeah. that it could help you. I could make the argument that everybody else in Baltimore gets hurt and Mark Ingram be- becomes the only guy. And, and you, you maybe theoretically, maybe you could get something, even if one of them got hurt. This is not even that it's he's, he's Cam Akers has already been hurt himself. And if we go back to the preseason, which feels like a million years ago, my read on this was it would be a three-headed monster and it would be a car wash. And they would just car wash all three of them through with Daryl Henderson getting first crack. Well, that happened actually before Cam Akers got, first, got hurt. They did try that. And Cam Akers looked abysmal to the point that he wasn't just getting outplayed by Daryl Henderson. He was being outplayed by Malcolm Brown. So at this point, what you, what you can expect for the Rams for the rest of the season, they, that team has playoff aspirations and rightly so. I don't see a scenario where they're going to turn this over to just get the rookie touches to see what they have in him. That's not where that team is. It's Daryl Henderson is the actual true RB for first and second down and the red zone for the rest of the season. That's your guy. Also, Malcolm Brown is your third down back, and he himself is borderline, like, barely rosterable, given what he's done. It really has seeded a lot of this work to Daryl Henderson. And if I had to pick a second choice, it's Malcolm Brown, because at least he's catching the passes. Cam Akers is thoroughly droppable. Yep, 100% agree. Corpse, moving on. All right, this is the most polarizing running back probably in, in the league right now. This is the Juju Smith-Schuster of, of running back <laughs> Leonard Fournette Leonard Fournette in Tampa Bay he is 82.8 percent owned just ahead of Mark Ingram he is RB 46 and he's RB 46 primarily because he had a 30 on that huge like 80 yard touchdown run that meant nothing at the end of a blowout in week three <laughs> other than that he's been hurt or he's barely touched the field so Leonard Fournette corpse or coma and this one's a little interesting because of what you just said, but for me, it's coma. It's, it's, it's not, I'm not ready to just totally cut bait on Leonard Fournette. As we've talked about a million times, you and I both think that he's a superior talent to Ronald Jones. And I stand by that because Ronald Jones, despite getting all the work has still been really inefficient. And I'm really getting sick and tired of Twitter being like, he's back. He's a top 10 running back. When is he can't be back when you were never there. Okay, let's just start with that as a starting point. That's a fair point. You can't – that doesn't work that way. So just leave that there for one moment. Second thing, it was two weeks ago when I watched Ronald Jones fumble a ball that Tom Brady jammed in his chest, and it shot out 
five yards to the other side of the field, and he's looking at Tom Brady like, oh, I don't know what happened. That's not going to fly on a Tom Brady run team. Ronald Jones is still too inefficient. He still makes too many boneheaded mistakes. And more importantly, he's still too bad at pass pro. He has been just as bad as he ever was in pass pro. And you wait until Tom Brady gets his bell rung because Ronald Jones fails to pick up a blitz on third down when he's out there for reasons that are baffling to me. The only reason he's getting this opportunity, and he's done all right with it to this point. I'm not going to totally poo-poo his performance. He's been, he's earned additional playing time with Leonard Fournette being out and lack of other options, frankly. Uh, but Vaughn hasn't done much of anything. He's had a little bit of run, but it's not really helping. When Leonard Fournette is actually healthy, I believe that a better second half is coming because they are going to just start rotating him back in, and you're going to feel like a real dummy if you sell Leonard Fournette for pennies on the dollar. And also, the theme of this is can you just cut them outright? No. That is not where we are with Leonard Fournette. Running back is too bad. If you do cut him, you are not getting another opportunity. Someone else who is totally desperate at running back is going to pick him up and stash him on the back end of their bench and just hope for better things. Running back is too bad to justify, and there's too much upside still. So for me, it's coma, and it's frustrating, but you just got to you just got to kind of hold out unless somebody wants to trade you something totally insane for Leonard Fournette. Which is like- to your point, um, Leonard Fournette, remember, was out. He did not play in week what was that it was it was two weeks ago week four and then he was healthy or not healthy but active in week four or uh, week five but only as an emergency then this past week he was completely out inactive so really he's missed three games on a per game basis the bucks are averaging 57 snaps a game for their running backs In the three healthy games that Leonard Fournette has played, he averaged 20 of those 57. So the other 37 have gone to Ronald Jones. And with how he's played to this point, do I think he's a better running back? Absolutely not. We we have talked many a time about the fact that Leonard Fournette is a far superior talent. But he has played well enough that he is still going to get the bulk of the workload when Leonard Fournette comes back healthy, just not the whole thing. I think the main thing here is people are overhyping Ronald Jones like he's going to be a locked-in top 20 running back the rest of the year, and that's not the case. In actuality, I think the two of them just cannibalize each other. Rest of season, I have Ronald Jones right around 27-28. Currently, I have Leonard Fournette at 35. He just, to this point, he has to prove to me that he can stay healthy on the field which was a problem in his career up until last season and has apparently reared its head again. And then he has to prove that he can outplay and overtake Ronald Jones for the job before I can evaluate him as a top 20 talent again. So at this point, I would love to be done with it, but there's just no value on it. So for me, Leonard Fournette is a guy that you kind of have to hold on to. This is a coma situation just because of how terrible running back is and there's upside but you're not starting Leonard Fournette anytime soon. And that's the unfortunate part is you're basically wasting a roster spot until maybe the playoffs when you hope that he gets hot, gets control of this backfield and just carries you a la Saquon last season or a Joe Mixon type Kenyon Drake just blows up in the second half of the year to win you a championship. Yeah. And we'll talk about it more in coming weeks, but we're doing show planning. And for me, like just as a spoiler alert, Ronald Jones is going to be like the ultimate sell high. 
Because if you've got somebody in your league, and you probably do, who thinks Ronald Jones is a top 10 running back and is willing to pay me like he's a top 10 running back, oh, I am 100% doing that. I do not like the way that this movie is likely going to end for that situation. So I'll cash out now. If I can get top 10 value to somebody is that in love with Ronald Jones. It seems like every league has one based on Twitter. All right, wide receivers, Julian Edelman. He is 91.7% owned in ESPN leagues. He is currently wide receiver 46. He had that huge game in week two, but he has 15.02 points total, total in the last three games. Yep. So Julian Edelman, corpse or coma? Coma, in a word, just to sum it up. You got to also layer in with this a certain level of nuance and the idea that one of those games, they didn't have Cam Newton as the starting quarterback. It was some combination of ultra terrible. Like it was Stidham and Hoyer in a game that I wish I didn't watch because I can't scrub my eyes enough to get that, to get that out of there. Like it was awful. It was that bad. You also have a situation where they can't practice because of COVID related issues. Now that's a little more troubling to me because there's no guarantee that that's just going away as much as people in the media would like to believe that that's just all over. And we're done with that at this point. Nope, we're done. They have their problem. They're done. That is not how this works. That's not how any of this works. That can happen at any time and can continue to happen. However, what I'm telling you is that Julian Edelman is the, like the one Patriots receiver that I would not want to just cut bait on and be done with. He's not droppable yet because when they actually are, because I got to believe it will get better at some point here when they are actually able to get back to business as usual, because Cam's already back from his COVID scare. We, we hope and pray that he doesn't have another one. And we hope that they can get this, that problem under control over there and actually start practicing properly. And when that happens, I think better days are ahead for Julian Edelman specifically when they can actually practice and get like a real offense ground in. Cause they were starting to, to, to do that before all this COVID stuff happened and, then their schedule got changed and they've just had a lot of adversity there. So no, I am not ready to sell Julian Edelman for pennies on the dollar, nor am I ready to just outright cut him. I think, I think you're going to have to sit tight with it and, and hopefully based on where he was drafted, it's not some sort of giant boat anchor around you to have to do it. This one's really tough for me. Um, So Julian Edelman wide receiver 46. Yes. You had the Hoyer Stidham situation obviously, but he played two of those games with Cam and was not very good. Uh, He leads the team in target percentage at 24. Nikhil Harry has 20% of the target share. 17% though is Demir Bird, a player that I feel like isn't being talked about enough. And even us, we haven't talked about Demir Bird enough. It's one of the most fascinating stats in the entire league to me to this point, this uh, season, Neil. Nikhil Harry, 77% of the offensive snaps for the Patriots. Julian Edelman has only played 68%. Demir Bird has been on the field 92% of the Patriots' snaps. He lives out there on the field. Lives out there. The only player that has more air yards on the Patriots than Demir Bird is Julian Edelman. He's second on the team in air yards, 377 for Edelman, 332 for Demir Bird. In terms of air yards per target, Bird 12.8 because he's their home run hitter, who we, which we thought Nikhil Harry would be. But Nikhil Harry has been the underneath type of slot receiver 
that like Edelman is. Edelman's the possession slot receiver, but he's getting 10 yard, air yards per target. Nikhil Harry's only getting 6.6. He, he's like the check down option for some reason on this team yep. where Demir Bird seems to be the home run guy. At some point, Demir Bird is going to pop off. He has 17 catches on his 26 targets for 217 yards. I would absolutely be rostering Demir Bird if you can. He's widely available. Yeah, so I would definitely do it like if you can. Um, but 36 targets for Julian Edelman, 30 for Harry, and then the 26 for Demir Bird. No other wide receiver on the Patriots has more than one. Yeah. So it's these guys sense. and the running backs. Well, they also had some guys they they shut down, like Gunnar Olszewski. Right. So th- that was also supposed to be part My of this My concern mix, with Edelman not. is eventually all these big hits he takes over the middle catch up with him. Over the last few weeks, he hasn't seemed to have this connection with Cam, that Cam is starting to click with Demir Bird. I feel like Edelman might be on the downswing. If you can sell Julian Edelman on name value, and get wide receiver two or three value for Julian Edelman, I would take it. Well, I agree with you there because it, you just can be done with the whole headache. Yeah, but, but again, if but we're that's talking a about different right now, he's at wide receiver 46. I don't yeah. think I can justify cutting him outright just because we're in the buys. So I guess technically it's coma. Yep. Technically, but I don't feel good about it. Is no, there any point no. this season when I'm going to feel good about putting him in my starting lineup? No. Probably not, 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 not unless we see a dramatic improvement in the Patriots in the next several weeks here. All right, let's move on. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, another hot one, hot one throughout the business. Hot for uh, all the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. T.Y. Hilton has had a horrible start to this season. He is 82.7% owned, wide receiver 68. His best game of the year was a 12, six catches for 60 yards. Neil, T.Y. Hilton, corpse or coma? This one hurts because you need to have a full-on funeral on our show for this, given our love for T.Y. Hilton. And especially just this preseason where we were talking about T.Y. Hilton. Everybody's sleeping on him. Everybody's sleeping on him. He's going to come back from that injury and get Phillip Rivers, get a real quarterback in there who actually throws it down the field. Nope. In a word, no. None of that is panned out. Unfortunately, it's time. It's time for the funeral. It's corpse for T.Y. Hilton. There is, I have so little hope that this is actually going to get better when he is being outplayed by Marcus Johnson, Zach Pascal, Trey Burton. Like, the, the, these, are, these are not names that T.Y. Hilton should be realistically competing with. And he just seems to be failing to develop that chemistry with Phillip Rivers at any point this season. They're just not on the same page. And also, I think the injuries are taking their toll. Hilton looks slower to, my, to the eye test. He just, he's not in and out of the breaks like he used to be. He can't stretch the field like he used to be. It's over. I don't, I, 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 there's no trade value on it for you at this point, given how bad he's been. I think it's time. You just feel free to cut him. Like it's just, it's game yep. over. Yep. He's a corpse cuttable. I mean, he's got, he's gotten some deep targets that they just haven't been able to connect on, but there's no reason to believe that Rivers is going to suddenly get better at making those connections with him. And Michael Pittman will be back to take that role back from him. So Nope, T.Y. Hilton, he is dead. Go ahead, you can cut that. Goodbye. Michael Gallup, 84.8% owned, wide receiver 37 currently in PPR. Michael Gallup, corpse or coma? Coma, and it's, but it's on life support. Like, it's full-on life support. He had six targets last week. So with Dalton under center, they're actually – they were throwing to him in the red zone, 
And he's only wide receiver 37. Granted, a lot of that is on one week, but you kind of know what you're getting with Michael Gallup. He's a down-the-field stretcher. The, the issue with it here is that wide receiver is so deep that I, you, I could have this argument made in reverse against me, that he would, in fact, be cuttable because you just have no hope that it'll ever get better than wide receiver 37. But given that he's clinging on to relevance at wide receiver 37, I view it as coma. You can't necessarily outright cut him because there's just likely not that many better options. And frustratingly, I think he just has to occupy a roster spot for you until either he stops getting the targets from Dalton because he frustrates Dalton into going away from him, or we just, or this is just going to be it for the rest of the season. But wide receiver 37 PPR is rosterable. Uh, so week three against Seattle and their horrendous secondary, right? He yes. had six receptions for 138 and a touchdown, nine targets in that game. He had a 28.8. Every other week, every other week, he's had between four to six targets. So never less than four, but never more than six. And he has had between four and 11 PPR points. He's been consistent, but consistently bad. He is the third wide receiver on that team, and it's not even close. And now it's Andy Dalton back there, who I still believe, based on the weapons and based on that offense, is going to have top 10 value on certain weeks and in certain matchups, but Michael Gallup to me, corpse. You can there are better options on the waiver wire. See Keelan Cole, see Tim Patrick, see Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley is giving you the same consistency in production with higher numbers. Cole That's Beasley fair. is Michael Gallup with better numbers. That's it's, what that it's, is. It's consistent, Michael Gallup. Yeah. It's a 10 every week as opposed to no, having a huge saying. number. Outside points. of the one huge week that he had with Dak, which we definitely don't expect to happen again. Michael Gallup has consistently been between a 4.3 and an 11.3 fluctuating between those, those numbers. So he's the same amount of consistent as Cole Beasley, but Cole Beasley's given you higher consistent numbers. So to me, this is corpse. You're going to find something better out there. You can move on. All right. Fair enough. Last last one we'll do from, uh, from wide receiver. Marvin Jones, 69.7% owned, wide receiver 84. We keep waiting for the breakout week, but it has not happened. So what are we thinking here? Corpse or coma? Corpse, unfortunately, as much as our love for Michael or for Marvin Jones is usually on this show. It's, it has more to do with just the Lions' lackluster passing attack. And really last week against Jacksonville was supposed to be the get-right game for Marvin Jones, and he put up a two. So in reality here, I think it's time just to come to grips with the idea that that passing attack is just not going to be what we thought it was going to be. And I have very little hope they're going to be able to right the ship. I think Kenny Galladay is the only wide receiver you could play with any confidence in Detroit for the rest of the season. And then maybe you could play Swift. But realistically, they're just not moving the ball at the clip that they, they normally do. And their defense is as bad as ever. So Marvin Jones, thoroughly droppable in every league. And that is deeply unfortunate. Uh, yeah, Marv, uh, you've got Kenny Galladay, who's the one there, as you mentioned, even with missing a couple of games, Kenny Galladay, 21 targets, Marvin Jones, 24, Danny Amendola, 23. They have spread the ball out fairly evenly. They have incorporated TJ Hawkinson more than they've incorporated tight end in the past, which has kind of hurt their, uh, production there. They're also incorporating or trying to at least incorporate, DeAndre Swift more into the passing game. He's got 20 targets right now for the season. 
so Marvin Jones was more of like an outside. He was their home run hitter, but he was also a consistent guy in PPR, similar to like Jamison Crowder in New York. Uh, we were looking for more out of Marvin yes. Jones, just to say the least. But uh, but yes, th- at this point, there are going to be good matchups. There are going to be weeks where he's relevant, especially during the buys. But this is corpse again. You you can find better options, unfortunately, on the waiver wire. So. Uh, going to have to let our boy go here. It's very disappointing. But we will take a quick break, and when we come back, we will wrap things up with tight end. Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game. That's right. And there are three ways for you to play. Stat shootout, rapid fire, and more or less. In Stat Shootout, you put together a two- or three-player team that'll accumulate the most of whatever stat type you've chosen to play, like touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of the three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds the chosen goal, then you win. And the higher the target goal that you choose, the more you can win. So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee, or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry. I mean, obviously you go big or you go home. Obviously. Then there's rapid fire, where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Michael Thomas or Julio Jones? Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win. But again, the more risk, the higher the reward. Sure, I mean, I only need to get two out of three matchups right to win one and a half times my entry. But if I can get five out of five, I'm looking at that 15 times payout again. You can buy me a lot of Jonu Smith jerseys with that money, Neil. You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Depending on the contest, you'll be giving two to six players and their statistic targets for the game, like Cam Newton with 233 and a half passing yards against Miami. You have to decide if that player will get more or less than that target. But just like the others, more or less increases the payout the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return as well. So you can go two for two to get that basic one and a half times payout if that's what you want to play. But if you've got the nerve you can attempt to go six for six and hit the 30 times payout. So many John New jerseys. Well, the only thing better than winning money from Monkey Knife Fight is getting money from Monkey Knife Fight for free. Oh, do love the free. Just go to Monkey Knife Fight to sign up for a free account. When you make your first deposit, use promo code NONSENSE. That's promo code NONSENSE. And Monkey Knife Fight will match your deposit up to $50. This is literally playing with house money, guys. So go to Monkey Knife Fight and use promo code NONSENSE, N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E, and get in on the action this weekend. All right, we are back. We are going to do tight end, but just one. It's Shout tight out. Bad, folks. It's tight end's not- pretty bad. There's it's not too bad. many people you can just outright cut at tight end. And but the inter- see, the interesting part is so many people stream tight end that it's actually worked out to the point where everybody that's in the top 10 to 12 uh, in terms of points scored is rostered in the top like 10 to 12. There's only a few guys who work their way into the conversation that shouldn't be there anymore. Zach Ertz, 
is the one that we're going to talk about. Zach Ertz is 96.9% owned, obviously. He was taken yes. as, the, as the tight end three or four, depending, and you had to spend a pretty good pick on it. But again, at this point in the year, that means nothing. That's completely irrelevant. This is what have you done for me lately, and what he's done for you lately is tight end 16. Tight end 16 with everyone hurt, with Rager out. Alshon Jeffrey hasn't played on this team at all this season. Deshaun Jackson's been hurt. Uh, Sanders has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Dallas Godair has been on IR for most of this season. I mean, Zach Ertz has had literally every opportunity, and he's getting outplayed by Greg Ward and Travis Fulgham. So at this point, he's done literally nothing for you. Now he's going to be out three to four weeks. Given their buy, your best case scenario is he comes back week 10. To me, this is corpse. It's this corpse. Is cut him, you let him go, you move on. Yeah, it's corpse. And what I would actually do is I would actually weekend at Bernie somebody um, because of how bad tight end actually is. What I would do is go to a lot of the wealthy teams, let's say, people that are probably almost guaranteed to go to the playoffs. And because of so many people not having solid tight end options, because there's five, roughly, and in a 12-team league, that means seven people are usually rummaging around for anything they can do at tight end. Some of those teams are going to be good. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, rather than cut Zach Ertz, I'm going to trade Zach Ertz for literally anything that I can get. Anything that might theoretically help my team, I'm going to take. Especially if I play in a league with IR slots. And I might wait a week or two if I've got an open IR slot to go do this little move closer to the trade deadline when he's theoretically closer to coming back to return. Because somebody is going to give you something because it says Ertz on the, on, the, on the jersey. And I know he's been bad, but you could make the argument to them, well, he's been bad because the teams have been scheming him out. They've just been triple covering him. So when everybody comes back, he should have more room to work. And I don't think that's the case, but that's the salesmanship that I'm going to try and employ. And I think you'll get something. That's going to be my advice. Weekend at Bernie's, folks. Yeah, good luck. It's worth <laughs> a shot. Just, if, I mean, if you look at the stats, you would just say, nah, thanks, I'm good. Hey, but, they might. Yeah, I, they get, might. I guess if you can get anything, sure. If I can get but anything. I feel like you're going to be able to, again, we've, we keep harping on it. Keelan Cole, Tim Patrick, Cole Beasley. Just look at the waiver wire. I mean, there's, there's probably something out there on your waiver wire usable to you on a weekly basis better than Zach Ertz, and you can cut him and pick up something that is probably going to be better than the back-end trash you get in a trade. Probably, so, in all likelihood, I mean, but it just depends on what you can get. It depends on what get. you get offered. I guess if somebody wants to give you something real for it, then yeah. If you have yep. somebody that's like a huge Eagle fan that loves – Zach Ertz, then yeah, sure. Or you just have somebody who's not paying Otherwise. that close attention and is like, nah, he'll be back. He'll be a top five tight end for me down the stretch. That'll be fine. Yeah. Some people think I, like that's that. pretty much it. All right, but that's going to do it for this week. Make sure you get all the latest news, injury updates, and a full preview of the weekend slate from our guys, Jack and Jason, on the Trust or Bus show this Friday slash Saturday, whenever you listen. Either way, uh, we will be back next Wednesday night to talk about week eight. Neil, where can the people find you on socials? You can find me at nonsense underscore Neil at Twitter and the Fantasy Life app. And you can also check out the trade columns that come out on Wednesday and Thursday written by myself and Wes Smith. No relation. Feel free to give us any kind of feedback as you prep for your building your playoff roster down the stretch here. Make sure you're following the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NonsenseFF. You can follow us in the important nonsense community page on the Fantasy Life app. Make sure you're subscribing to the pod wherever you listen. Give us a five-star review if you're listening on Apple. 
And of course, you can follow me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. Until next week, make sure you keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. And you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!